our interest is uh, in emerging forms of apocalypse culture. You have some experience with online internet cults and like what kind of cults might emerge from this period of pandemic and what actually defines a cult? Is it the unusual uh, quality or, or aspect of a cult or like? Temple is the one that I uh, have probably the, the closest um, personal experience as far as having joined what is formally regarded and, and self-identifies the cult. Their, their argument obviously is, you know, um, we are already unwittingly part of a cult insofar as, you know, the family institution, any type of organized religion, universities, these are all inherently cult-like. Part of it was like, you know, instrumental. If they make that argument, it's less brash that they self-identify as a cult from a, the, their inception, or at least as long as I was have been familiar with them, which was pretty early on from its formation. I mean, I knew them when it was just two people, uh, the, the two creators of it, who had founded the cult and didn't have any you know, practitioners yet. And then when they got their first practitioner. And I didn't really hear the word cult used too much at first. It was only once they got their first member that they began self-identifying as a cult. This cult grew out of what in the early to mid-aughts was the alt-lit movement, you know, weird Facebook, weird Twitter, Tumblr culture. Once Tumblr migrated to, uh, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say migrated. There was definitely some people who stuck around it on Tumblr, but I think mostly people switched to Twitter and Facebook. And it was really interesting that I think it was actually first Facebook where a lot of these alt-lit people went. And there was something called weird Facebook that was never really called weird Facebook by the in-group. There were a few articles by people at like the Daily Dot and such that termed it weird Facebook. Talon was one of the original, you know, people that made this type of migration. But there were also a few artists, like net artists, people like Brad Trammell, other people that were sort of like associated with the jogging, his Tumblr. Uh, yeah. migrated to like Facebook or Twitter and then later Instagram. Uh, but really the first migration that was noticeable, mostly amongst like outlet people, net artists, techno house and noise musicians was, was to Facebook. And that's, you know, I was part of like a New York City based techno underground experimental electronica group of friends who also had a lot of online presence. Once I like sort of, you know, made friends with people. I mean, Christy Yamaguchi was one of like these, uh, these cult-like uh, figures that had her own organization called Internet Surfing Club. Um, and I think it was through them that I like, you know, joined various Facebook groups and found them. Well, I actually think that's really interesting because me and Alex, we sort of come from that dance music world as well. And it's, Weird because in Los Angeles, you know, we have such a rich history of like shadowy occult like groups. I mean, you know, the the only sort of ordained Gnostic minister and actually Gnostic church exists in Los Angeles. It's now at the Basant Lodge. And then, you know, you have like obviously Jack Parsons and that whole story with like the rocket scientist. I almost see like something opposite happening. Kind of like why I'm wondering with this pandemic sort of event horizon 
it's almost like there's this new form of like snuff cult online congregations that might arise from this situation and like where geographically do you see them and like because I am really interested in your story so what else did you pick up on how it operates like to this day is there something like yeah I mean like their first uh intuitive message was one, one of the creators uh, of this cult is like an older white man and the other is a middle-aged black woman and the idea was you know creating maybe this dialectic relationship where the, the white guy who was a bit older uh had you know a beard uh came from perhaps like a wealthier upper middle class upper class background uh versus this black woman who was raised from chicago they decolonized she decolonized him and the idea uh was that this cult would decolonize its members by various types of social media practices and one of these was sort of like an initiation where one where you know a young person who was joining the cult um would you know go through several levels of experimenting with themselves not in like the standard mode that cults often operate by with drugs sex and alcohol their uh, perspective was more so using social media and sort of having these two members uh, troll them, insult them publicly, uh, go through certain types of initiation, self-challenges to eventually decolonize the self. I mean, in a lot of ways, like what would, at the same time, you know, I was sort of reading a lot of uh, theory and it seemed like there were certain parallels and it was a reductive form of maybe like what would exist in post-colonial studies and maybe like genealogical philosophies such as, you know, Foucault and uh, maybe like Althusser, those that were more politically aligned with Marxian tendencies, that was subtracted and it was only like the cultivation of self. One of the very specific things I remember was that they, that they you know, uh, extolled and praised was you would go into a mall or to a shopping center and dress yourself in like the fanciest clothes that one wanted to see themselves in. It was like right in that peak of that self-help culture. Um, you know, you would dress yourselves up in these clothes or you would uh, put yourself in this, this luxury SUV or luxury Mercedes coupe, et cetera, and feel what it would be like to be in that position. And it would be you know, this ethos of self-actualizing and, and take photos of oneself as such. And then sort of create like a mood board. And this was one of, you know, their stages. It was a multi-staged and multi-tiered operation. And for those who couldn't afford it, because there was a price tag, obviously, they had to make money from it. They asked for something called time. But time was spelled T-U-M-E. One of their other, you know, operations is to decolonize the English language, (laughs) Uh, which is one of the more frustrating things, I think, for a lot of people to interact with them because it's very difficult to parse what their sentences read uh, because there's like this uh, retrofitting of vowels with other vowels, like I's with U's. makes it pretty difficult to read a sentence outright. But this was all before, obviously, any type of like Trump being in office, uh, and there was very little like engagement with electoral politics or with like a socio political semblance. And I think that's something that happened more recently, and as we'll probably get to with you know COVID times and uh, the apocalyptic semblance has sort of changed their position and the position of the cult more historically. Was there 
uh, was there an emphasis on uh, reaching out to sex workers and artists and people that have clout, online clout? Like, I first came across them because um, I was seeing some stuff where they were saying every, you know, every girl with an OnlyFans is the leader of a cult, but she doesn't know it. And they have this whole thing about, like, how the patriarchy is actually, like, a psyop for the pussyarchy. And how, like, I'm just curious if that was part of it from the beginning or adapted later or i mean i feel like they didn't know what only fans was at the very beginning and i just mean instagram their whole thing of thought market collapse that whole idea that was always there uh, i think they they got more specified with things like only fans and, and uh being able to pluck from like concrete examples as they became more and more engaged with younger people and saw what was happening and some of these things developed more in the last five to ten years but there was always this focus on like the cult already exists insofar as one practices social norms and is engaged in normative behavior online these are already cult-like in the way that they group people. The focus on like sex workers, artists, and so on, for sure. I mean, that was also inherent to sort of, I, and it, it's an interesting question because I don't know how they ever really arrived on the scene, but the very first time I heard about them, there was an argument between somebody who was ran a meme page and uh, one of the leaders of the, the male leader of this cult who accused the person running this meme page of uh, being Steve Wozniak. And the reason that they accused this guy of being Steve Wozniak, who ran this meme page, was because this meme page posted a screenshot of this guy's cloud score. And his cloud hmm. score was apparently, you remember that website, clout.com yeah, or whatever? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, apparently, his cloud score was the same as Steve Wozniak's cloud. So that was the bridge for them. Wow. Uh, <laughs> but it, but yeah. it also seems to be like a sort of a preying on vulnerable. Which I think I think most cults that we would associate as being a cult that consider themselves to be a cult, like they also prey on people who are like, you know, on a sociological level, on a sort of like um, personal level, and an emotional level. They're they're sort of in like a vulnerable state, which is why, like, I saw some recent actually tweet that they were going after um, trans sex workers, and one of them posted, they're like, well, they're at it again. And they threw in this sort of like the whole like apocalypse salvation bit as well. So I, I'm, I'm, so, I'm sort of interested in how that operates because one of the things that I've woke up is like, I'm like, whoa, you know, contain is like sort of, you know, engaging in these kind of like new forms of mystical practices. And like, that's kind of like something that I'm interested in, but how do I, but I have no interest in like attracting people who seek some sort of like outside counsel who don't have maybe like a, a full, I don't, I don't really know how to describe it, but is, is, do you think that's an element too? Is that sort of like Absolutely. a, re yeah. I mean, no doubt about it that most of these people, including myself at this time, were either, you know, in some type of existential crisis. Uh, we were in our young 20s or late teens, many suffering from like various types of drug addictions, uh, many who were, you know, in the midst of uh, coming to terms with either being transgender, gay, queer of some sort, uh, or just carving their own and not entirely aware right. of what they were. But since there was also the rise of SJW culture and such, there was just like this existential lapse in a lot of people as to what they were. And there was a lot of criticism for, you know, 
this this type of uh, flux between the self as performed online because I mean there was so much policing that I would just see between yeah. people, uh, you know, saying like quote unquote problematic things and responses. And so, and the people who, who were sort of uh, the two guys who were running it would zoom in and, and grab people who were fighting with themselves and being sort of targeted, offering them a, a way to come to self-salvation outside of the strict bounds of that type of, you know, social justice warrior system. And they were they were doing this really intense counter-signaling where they were calling what they were doing social fascism, describing what they were doing as a military. They seem to sort of have this shared opinion that, you know, like the white woman is also the alpha consumer of capitalism, which is like another... And when they sort of talk about the decolonization of of the white, of the of the people within the cult, there's that thing of like I think I read you want them to be above slavery but below like managerial sort of office white collar bureaucracy. So I think that there's there's like a slight critique, a political critique there, but I'm not, but I'm not exactly sure like if that's just more like a way of like controlling and creating a new subset of like a binary restriction or like how does that fit into the entire structure? Is there like a political aim or is it just like purely about? Yeah, I think that you you you, you point something out that's really important, which is like there's there's this operational binary between a, a cosmology and perhaps like a somewhat malfeasance of politics because you have these people who identify with a certain notion of purity. They wear all white. They believe in day life as opposed to nightlife. They believe in a certain type of spiritual praxis that they're the leaders of, which is you know set in diametric opposition to techno, gothic, what they see as destructive drug use and alcoholism, rampant cultures. So they're inherently positioning themselves as the social liberation from those strictures while reifying it with this, you know, the symbol of purity, white. You know, I mean, they're all white guys is is a mandate. Uh, And you see the people who join quickly adopt like the the white t-shirts and white pants and so on. now, their reasoning for this is that white is a blank canvas that allows the dirt and uh, whatever you know particles one picks up throughout their uh, ventures to be displayed vividly. It wasn't so much that like white should be kept clean, but rather that it's a blank canvas. But nonetheless, it's reinstating a, a model that others have to obey by, which is a necessity for any type of like organization that yeah. has some type of like function. The political bit though was focused more so on this female liberation, sexual liberation, man as collapsed within a certain patriarchal posture. But the problem was, I think that didn't really apply to a lot of people from our generation. Like we weren't coming from the same place where this this guy was older was, which like those that generation was somewhat indoctrinated into like patriarchal practices. Most of the people that I saw joining the cult, like they didn't have problems with necessarily reifying the same types of sexist practices that they identified as necessary to dismantle. None of my friends and I, who were, you know, the group that would be plucked from, uh, saw women as inherently sexualized objects in the yeah. way, you know, maybe through other subtle reifications, but not in the way that this older guy's generation did. And it seemed like those were still very much 
you know, the functional pivot points that they try to to latch on to. It almost seems like they're anti-mystical experience in a way. There's a sort of demystification process that goes on, especially with the whole, when you talk about the all white and the idea of it being a blank canvas, that the imminently material things, they actually soot and they dirty. It's it's kind of like this weird, because I think about this a lot, how how people can sort of conflate decolonialism with sort of like Western universalized liberalism and there being like this kind of split between those things with like you know see like semi keba in africa and the sort of like new pan-africanist decolonialist movements that actually come from like guanon and all these other interesting there's there's all this like suturing of it's kind of self-explanatory at this point why that would be appealing to certain people who felt like outside of the kind of normal boundaries of like SJW culture, like whatever you want to call it. But is there anything like, is there like a disidentity to this stuff? Is it, is there trying, are they trying to strip identity? Are they trying to like horizontalize things at a certain level? Or is it just, is it purely operating off of this like almost like 70s new agey narcissism? There's definitely such a large element of that, which is why there's this identification with luxury cars and luxury designer clothes and so on, Mm. where one would assume that like a total political deconstruction would attack that assemblage from every point. It would not just be one's will to power should be affirmed, but only in a certain direction. It'd be like, why that will to power from the very basis is, is constructed. But instead, they wanted to prod people, and I'm sure they still do want to prod people, towards certain material hierarchies. One of the biggest uh, ambitions was to own a skyscraper-like compound, which, you know, I mean, this is not necessarily totally alien to cults. The idea of a compound, a remote compound, is pretty, you know, part and parcel with, with cults and uh, the history of cults in America. But there was this identification with like a luxury uh, building of sorts in Detroit. Uh, when I befriended a younger man who had not yet come out of closet, so did not come out of closet until pretty late when they were leaving the cult, uh, the first thing that he asked for in friendship was some type of financial or emotional commitment to move, to leave one's family and to move to this compound, which had not yet been obtained, but was sort of the telos. So Already, in addition to luxury cars and luxury clothes and the 70s new age, you know, entrepreneurship of the self gone wrong, uh, you know, not necessarily in like creative zeal, but more so in affirming those capital practices that already exist. There's this sort of communalization, but communalization, like not almost something indicative of what now I guess is called fully automated luxury communism. Yeah. Um, That almost seems like a cult in and of itself. Like I actually thought the kind of Nick Skernisic, Williams worship, there are certain groups and I was actually associated with a political group in LA. I'm not going to name names, but I had a big falling out with this group that worshiped that model because it honestly felt really cult-like. It, it felt like really domineering. It felt very paranoid. And this whole idea that like 
if anybody challenged this hypothetical political technological model that almost seems like very abstracted from the epistemologies of technology itself, if you question any of those things, you were kind of like seen as like so. The, the missing link, though, is even with fully automated luxury communism and platform capitalist critiques that do sort of accept. The thing that I find about platform capitalism, and I th actually thought that was a pretty good book. I was not a fan of uh of the fully automated luxury economies and stuff, but I find a lot of people who are attracted to that book engage in the most rampant forms of platform capitalism themselves. And so I see this like almost like near like radioactive obsession with middle managerial sort of like cultural codification coming from those people because I, like I said like I have some sort of like enemies within the cultural sphere because I was like you people are not practicing what you preach like at all you're creating substrata middle tier like sort of like low level variations of this thing that of these uh these structures these online structures that you're claiming to critique but you're all you're doing is reinforcing those larger structures. And in many ways, you're actually worse because you're targeting them at more specific um, vestiges of culture itself. So that like, so it becomes less actually open source, it becomes actually less democratized and only democratized in this like, really kind of gross, like, you know what I mean with like the rave techno, but it's got like bad aesthetics and like, it's just not, nothing looks right. And they sell their tickets. It's like weird, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's part and parcel of what this, this more like this, this larger culture of automation, uh, automatization is it, it, sort of indicative uh, of some type of promise given to the machine. So in Marx, just so you know, not to to get too academic, but there's this bifurcation no, of in surplus value. There's two types of surplus value that Marx uh, bifurcates surplus value into, and this is oftentimes ignored in capital readings. There's absolute surplus value and relative surplus value. Absolute totally. surplus value is you know, there's 24 hours in the day, a worker can only give so much time. And so the means to increasing surplus value is by increasing the amount of time that a worker works. But relative surplus value is a recognition of absolute self surplus values as frame and the restrictions therewith. And it attempts to uh, hierarchize automation. The machine now has more of priority over the worker, and the machine has the telos of outpouching the worker from those uh, artisanal, uh, you know, that that lineage from artisanal to man as machine, and then thereafter to the the, the machine outpouching uh, everything that man as the conveyor about worker uh, was- a, Well, that, was a, that would be the kind of the latent Promethean tendencies of, of Marx's labor theory of value. And I think that there's, there's some overlap there. And, but one of the things I also think about is how, how Simondon was more of the, he kind of prioritized the epistemology, the epistemological preconditions of what it is that makes a technology is where for Marx, it was more about economics. Like he viewed economics, uh, technology as almost like a, I, I don't want to say purely economic formality, but I think that like, there's, there's like a middle ground there too. Like, 
and and so are you saying that the fully automated luxury communist model is actually more in line with orthodox late marxism than people are leading on or is there like or because i find there to be like a latent capitalistic impulse there as well I, so i i don't know i don't know how to define it in one way it almost rebukes the model of early cultural marxists like gramsci and otto bauer and that it's it's codifying the cultural systems in a similar way that capitalism does you know and so i think it's almost like anti that do you have anything to say about that because i'm interested for luxury automated forms of capital i think there's a telos that naturally accepts relative surplus values hierarchy over any other kind of rights to labor and so there's this acceptance that automization is our future and we don't have an interventive position to uh, not only decrease uh, the acceleration as telos, uh, but also we increasingly have less of a role. But you point out Simon Don and just in general, people like Bernard Stiegler and those who sort of draw from Simon Don, they accept this, uh, they they prioritize homeostasis and autopoiesis between technical systems and man. So every, you know, with every new outpouching of a technical practice, whether that be the place of the artisan, begins with...